God is able to show up anytime, anywhere, and anyhow. Welcome to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr., author, pastor, teacher at Shiloh Church in Jacksonville and Orange Park, Florida. In today's text out of Joshua 2, Pastor Charles will show us the providential will of God is unstoppable, the sovereign grace of God is unlimited, and the faithful promises of God are unfailing. Today's message, Meeting God in Unexpected Places. And now, here's Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. Now you can grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2 will be our text for the morning. So, I found it. I got a text with a woman in it. She is not a mother. She is far from it. She's one of the bad girls of the Bible. This is an episode of the Real Housewives of Israel. Housewives of Jericho. (laughs) But she's also one of the most important women in the Bible. And I want to connect those dots if I can. Joshua chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, True, the men came to me, but I did not know where they came from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of her house and hit them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords, and the gates were shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Give me a sure sign 
that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the man said to her, our lives for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Amen. It's God's word. You may be seated. I want to label the message, Meeting God in Unexpected Places. Meeting God in Unexpected Places. From Pharaoh's own house, God raised up a man named Moses who he would use to set the children of Israel free from the oppression of Pharaoh and the bondage of Egypt. After Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they went through the wilderness, the Negev, the desert, and they reached the outskirts of the promised land of Canaan. And the Bible says that there, outside of Canaan, in the suburbs, if you will, God commanded Moses to send 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel to spy out the land. The 12 spies returned, and 10 of the 12 had a bad report. Sure, as God said, the land was flowing with milk and honey, however, what God did not mention was that there were giants in the land. The spy said, we look like grasshoppers compared to these giants in the land, and warned the people of Israel not to go forward into Canaan. There was a minority report from two spies, Caleb and Joshua. They too saw the giants in the land, but They declared to Israel that if God says we are able, we are able to take the land. In fear, unbelief, and rebellion, Israel received the report of the majority and refused to go forward as God had commanded them. In holy judgment, God sent the children of Israel back into the wilderness where they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire unbelieving generation died in the wilderness. Joshua chapter 2, we now find ourselves 40 years later. The unbelieving generation has died. Their children have now grown up and claimed now the promises of God concerning Canaan. Moses, too, has died in the wilderness. And Joshua will be God's man to lead the children of Israel into the promised land of Canaan. Now we see, after Joshua chapter 1, Joshua's first strategic act to lead the children of Israel into the land of Canaan. And his first strategic act 
is reminiscent of his mentor Moses. He selects spies to go check out the land. Moses sent 12 spies, 10 of them brought back a report of unbelief. I guess Joshua said, rather than sending out 12, I'll just send out two. He sends out two spies to search out all the land. Verse 1 says, especially Canaan, or rather Jericho in Canaan. He picks Jericho because Jericho was the first of the major cities they would face and the strongest of the cities they would face. And when these spies arrive into the city of Jericho, Joshua moves off the scene. And the focus of the chapter is the story of these spies who meet in Jericho a prostitute named Rahab. And it is by their encounter with this prostitute named Rahab that Joshua and the children of Israel will discover that they can go forward by faith because as they go forward, God is already there. You see, this story in Joshua chapter 2 is not about Joshua or Israel or the spies or Jericho or Rahab. It's about God. The message of this chapter is that God is so big, God is so big that you can meet God in some unexpected places. Father and son were on the lake fishing. During this quality time together, the conversation turned theological. The son asked his father, Dad, have you ever seen God? Thinking for a moment, the father looked up at the blue skies dotted with clouds, looked at the trees that carpeted the shore, looked at the flowing waters upon which they sat, then looked in the face of his son and with a tear in his eye, answered, at this point, I'm beginning to see God everywhere I look. Do you get it? It has nothing to do with what's around you to talk that way. It's about what's in you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Matthew, Matthew 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are they who are poor or pure in heart, for they shall see. God. That is, if you trust God, if your heart is right with God, you can see God anywhere, everywhere, even in 
unexpected places. That's the point I want you to see in the chapter. That God is able to show up for you anywhere, anytime, and anyhow. There are three lessons here that I want you to see in Joshua chapter 2. The first of the three lessons is this. The providential will of God is unstoppable. The providential will of God is unstoppable. The word providence means to see beforehand. This is a theological term, providence, that speaks of the ways in which God works behind the scenes. R.C. Sproul calls providence the invisible hand of God. Sure, I believe in miracles. Miracles are when God supernaturally intervenes in the circumstances and human affairs of life and suspends the natural order in order to accomplish his agenda. But friends, miracles don't happen all the time. They don't happen often. Miracles are rare occurrences, which is why we call them miracles. As my faith is growing, I'm not looking these days for miracles. I'm trusting in providence. That even when I can't overtly see God working his, his, his invisible hand is at work in the affairs of life and his providential will is unstoppable. Or let me say it the way Paul says it in Romans 8 and 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. Here, the first major lesson of this chapter is that the providential will of God is unstoppable. The chapter begins in verse 1 with Joshua, the son of Nun, sending two men secretly from Shittim as spies into the land of Canaan, telling them to go search out the land, especially the city of Jericho. As I mentioned, Jericho was the first major city with inhabitants they would have to fight in order to claim the land. And not only would it be the first city they would have to fight, it was most likely the greatest city they would have to fight. The the hardest battle would be the first battle. Because Jericho, like every major ancient city, was surrounded by walls for protective defense. The walls of Jericho were so tall and so thick and so strong that it was believed that no one could penetrate the walls of Jericho to wage war against the inhabitants of this city. Joshua is moved by something within him to have these 
spies search out the land, particularly Jericho. But beyond whatever in him moved him to do this, something beyond Joshua was moving him. God's providential will is at work here to show that when God has a plan, nobody can stop him. God can stop anything that is contrary to his will. Let me say that again. God can stop anything that is contrary to his will. Joshua sends out these two spies, and they're to go into the city secretly. So, just for the record, these these are not good spies. They are sent out in verse 1, and they are discovered by verse 2. They go into the city, and they, they are to move by stealth, and so they decide that the place where they will hide out is the house of a woman of the night named Rahab. We don't have to impugn their motivations. This may have been their stealth strategy, after all. There would be men coming in and out of Rahab's house all day. And no one would have raised suspicions watching the men come in and out of Rahab's house. People would have assumed that these were just uh, another of the men who were passing through Rahab's house over the course of a normal day. They go then to the city of Jericho and they try to hide in the house of this prostitute named Rahab. But as I told you, these men apparently are not good spies because in verse 2, we see that somebody in the streets saw the men and knew these were men of Israel and knew why they had come to Jericho and took the message to the king and said, men of Israel have come here to search out the land. Joshua had a plan to get spies in by secret to search Jericho. And before the first verse is done, the king of Jericho has discovered their plan and has moved to stop the agenda, sending soldiers to Rahab's house to say to Rahab, we know there are men in your house, we know where they came from, and we know why they are here. Bring them out to us. While the soldiers are on their way to Rahab's house, somehow the news gets to Rahab. And she takes the men up to the roof of her house, the roof that was covered with branches and trunks of trees, and she hid them in the trunks and branches there until the soldiers went away. Let me pause that story there so that you'll get the picture again that not. Nothing that is contrary to God's will can stop his plans. God can stop anything contrary to his will. Joshua had a plan. His plan is discovered and interrupted by the king of Jericho, maybe the most mighty man in the whole province of Canaan. 
But while the king is moving against Joshua, a greater king is moving against the king of Jericho. Somehow, the king has gotten news from the streets about the men of Israel in Rahab's house. But at the same time, the greater king has gotten news from the streets to Rahab that the soldiers are on the way to her house. And she hides the men of God to protect them from the coming soldiers. We're seeing here that God can stop anything that is contrary to his will. But on the other hand... Nothing that is contrary to his will can stop God. I want you to hear that. The king gets involved, but God's plans keep marching forward. I don't know if you're getting where I'm headed with this, but I'm trying to tell you, friends, that your opposition cannot stop God from accomplishing his will in your life. It doesn't matter who is against you. If God is on your side, no opposition can stop God's will for your life. This is why it troubles me to see Christians and preachers flipping out every day about the news. And, and acting, acting like the hope of our future rests in the decisions of Washington, D.C. I, I just don't think the church ought to be tripping out about what they report in the news, what's happening at the Pentagon, the White House, what's happening at Wall Street. That, 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 shouldn't, that shouldn't overwhelm us. Just read Joshua chapter 2 and discover that when the king of the land comes against the people of God, God can use a prostitute to thwart the plan of a king. God's going to do what he want to do, and can't nobody stop God from accomplishing his plan. Your opposition cannot stop God's will for your life, but let me ask something else before I move on. Your location can't stop God's will for your life. Even in enemy territory. God never goes broke. He always have a witness. You, you say the whole culture going against God and the whole... No, 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 no. God, God always have a witness. He, he in a pagan land had been moving in the heart of a prostitute so that she would be ready to help his people when they showed up down the road. Your location can't stop God's plan. At Bishop College, they used to tell the young preachers there, it's not in the land, it's in the man. And they would tell the young preachers that to tell them, don't be fixated by trying to get called to a big or great or successful church. It ain't in the land, it's in the man. That is, if God has his hands on you, he can call you anywhere and he can use you for his glory. You clapping, but let's, let's stop talking. Let's, let's, let's go from Jericho to Beaver Street. 
Because some of you go from this place to that place, from relationship to relationship, from job to job, from church to church, trying to find a settled place for the Lord to bless you. And what we find here is you ain't got to be in a special place for God to bless you. Even in enemy territory, God can still take care of you. Lord, give me strength. I'm losing my voice, but give me strength to preach your word today. The providential will of God is unstoppable. But I want you to see something else. The sovereign grace of God is unlimited. The sovereign grace of God is unlimited. The first paragraph of the chapter tells us what Rahab did. The second paragraph tells us why she did it. And we find out why she did it from her own lips. That not only has God strategically shown up in an unexpected place to to have a prostitute help his people's cause, but church, in the midst of all of this, this prostitute starts preaching. A pagan, immoral woman in a doomed city of a cursed land starts talking about God to God's people. Y'all not listening to me here. Uh, This is showing us God's sovereignty is unlimited. That word sovereignty just means God is in control of everything. And church, I believe in the exhaustive sovereignty of God. To quote R.C. Sproul again, there is not a maverick molecule in the universe. God is in charge of everything. And I don't believe that because I read John Calvin, Martin Luther, or Jonathan Edwards. I learned that in the Tender Voices Children's Choir at Mount Sinai Church in Los Angeles where I learned to sing. He's got the whole world in his hand and the little bitty baby in his hand. And you and me, brother, is all in his hand. Watch how we see that God's got everything in his hands by what Rahab knew. The Bible says before verse 8, the men lay down. She sent them to the roof to hide them. But before she hid them in the branches of the roof, she started talking to them. She came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen on us and that all of inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Do you know what she's talking about here? Let me tell you what she's talking about. Deuteronomy. Moses will not be permitted to take the children of Israel over into the promised land. Deuteronomy is a series of speeches he gives them to get them ready. In the opening speech of Deuteronomy, the emphasis that Moses gives to the children of Israel is that you can go forward with confidence because God has already gone before you 
And you don't have to be afraid of the people because he's put the fear of you in their hearts and they are melting away. Y'all are not in here with me. Moses has been trying to tell them that in the book of Deuteronomy. Now Moses is dead. Joshua steps up to lead them in. He sends spies into Canaan. They go to Jericho, land in a prostitute's house, and the prostitute starts talking like Moses and says, I know I live in this city. I live in this land, but I know the Lord has given you this land, and I know that the fear of you has seized this whole city. I thought you'd be excited about that. Uh, but if you want to get excited about what she knew, consider what she heard. She knew what she knew because she heard what she heard. She said, verse 10, we heard. How did, how did she hear whatever she about to tell them? Well, she didn't hear it in Sunday school. Mm -mm. Old Rahab didn't go to Sunday school. But, but she heard from pillow talk. Y'all not listening to me here. Men are coming in and out of Rahab's house. And while they're coming in and out of Rahab's house, they talking to Rahab, telling her about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and, and God is setting up faith in a prostitute's house. Y'all not in here with me. And, and, and she says, I heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you came out of Egypt. She says, I heard about the Exodus. Pharaoh was after you, and God opened up the Red Sea. And y'all walked through on dry ground like pedestrians walking a city street. And then he closed up the water, and Pharaoh's army... I heard that when you were in the wilderness, our Syrian cousins on the other side of the Jordan, they stood against you, and God put the kings of Sahan and Og in your hand. I heard about how great your God is. As soon as we heard it, verse 11, our hearts melted because there was no spirit left in any man because of you. Here's why. For the Lord, your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That, that, that up to this point, that statement, God being the only God who is God in heaven above and in earth beneath, has only showed up three times already in the Bible. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 4, and Deuteronomy 5 declares that God is God in heaven above and the earth beneath. Hmm. In Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, the statement is made of all places in the Ten Commandments where God says, don't make any graven images. Don't make any idols representing anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath. This woman, who is an immoral woman in a doomed city of a pagan culture, 
somehow starts quoting the Ten Commandments. I wish I had a prayer in church. And she says, I know that your God is the only God. This is why I'm saying, church, you ain't got to worry about what the world is doing. You don't have to worry about what the enemy is doing. If God is on your side, are y'all listening to me here? He can show up in some unexpected places. His sovereignty is unlimited, but his grace is unlimited. During a conference on world religions, they debated what makes Christianity distinct from the religions of the world. Some suggested incarnation. They said, no, that's not it. Other religions claim God became man. Resurrection, they said, no, that's not it. Other religions claim the dead live again. So what makes Christianity unique from the world religions? C.S. Lewis wandered into the proceedings late, asked what the discussion on the floor was, and when they told him, he replied, oh, that's easy. The thing that sets apart Christianity from the major religions of the world is grace. And he's right. It is the distinguishing virtue of the Christian faith. Every major religion of the world, one way or another, is trying to show man how to reach God. If you keep these rules, you'll reach God. If you take a trip to this holy site, you will reach God. If you eat this or don't eat that, you will reach God. If you dress this way, you will reach God. If you obey this command, you will re- But Christianity doesn't talk like that. Christianity begins by declaring that we are guilty sinners who cannot reach the righteous standard of a holy God. But while we cannot reach up to God, the gospel is God has reached down to us with amazing grace through the life and death and resurrection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the story of Rahab tells us the grace of God is big enough to cover you wherever you are. I thought I'd have a witness there. Your your story may not be Rahab, but if you saved, you was in a mess. You was in a mess. You was in a mess that you and people around you maybe didn't think you would ever get out of. You would never change. You could never be different. But somehow, grace reached. I'm, I'm, I'm talking not everybody. Not everybody. I grew up on the front pew of the church. But some people in here, there are people that know you that are shocked that you in church today. Help me hear somebody. You, you made it a goal to be as far away from church as you could be. And somehow grace was big enough to reach you in the world and bring you into the redemptive clutches of a mighty God. This is also why you shouldn't give up on anybody. Because if grace can reach you, I said if grace can reach you, then grace can reach anybody. Grace is, amazing grace is big enough to cover you. And if this is a Mother's Day part of the sermon, here it is. Grace is big enough to cover your family. 
Look at verse 12. Rahab was an expert at negotiating with men, and her old ways started kicking in. She says, now I did something good for you. Now I need you to do something good for me. But she says, it ain't just for me. Grace has gripped me, and I'm glad about it, but now it ain't about me. No, it ain't about me, but I know the wrath of God is coming on this city, and I'm glad grace gripped me, but now it ain't about me. I got a daddy in this city. I got a mama in this city. I got a brother and I got sisters in this city, and I can't just rejoice that grace got me covered and watch my family die in a doomed city. That's the evidence that grace has gripped your heart, friend. It's not that you just come to church regularly to praise God for what grace has done for you, but something wrong with your faith if you can celebrate grace here every week and then go home without any burden in your heart for your family members, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers and classmates that are far from God. When you leave here celebrating, you ought to ride home saying, Lord, the grace that covers me. Cover my son, Lord. Cover my mama, Lord. Cover my daddy, Lord. Cover my friends, Lord. Won't he do that? I said, won't he do it? The Bible says that the gates closed because Rahab Told a lie. I can't dress it up. She lied. She lied. She lied. She said, I don't know where them men came from. They was here for a little while and they went. And I don't know where they went, but they ain't been gone long. If you, if you go f- chase them, you'll catch them going out the gate before they close the gate for the night. There's no justification for that lie. But the God is so big. That through all of these actions, he still accomplishes his agenda. While they're out chasing the men, the gate has closed. She brings the spies from the roof. I'm almost done now. She brings the spies from the roof. I got another point. I'm not going to make it there. She brings the spies down from the roof. And she gets out a scarlet cord. And she ties it to something. And lets it out her window because her house was right on the wall. And she, she let the men down, that scarlet cord, and they were able to escape. She said, hide, hide in the woods for three days, and then you can make it safely back to camp. And she let that cord down. But before they climbed down the cord, they, they said, you, you did something good for us, and we're going to do something good for you. This is a doomed city. The wrath of God is coming on this city. This whole city is going to be judged. But I tell you what, when we come back, we got you covered. But as we climb down, when we climb down, don't pull this cord up. Just let that scarlet line keep hanging there. And when we come back to destroy the city, when we see that cord hanging out your window... We'll know it's your house.
Y'all not listening to me here. And we'll cover your house while the city is being destroyed. And oh yeah, go, to, go get your mama. Go get your daddy. Go get your sisters and brothers and tell them, if you want to be saved, you better get in the house. I know some of you grew up with your mama making you to church, go to church, and you say, when I have children, I ain't going to make my children go to church. I'm going to let them make up their own mind, but they don't get to make up their mind. TV is making up their mind, and music is making up their mind. While they still in your care, you better get them in the house. Because grace is in, I didn't say send your children. I said you better bring your children and let them see how amazing grace has changed your life. I don't want to linger there. I'm glad for all of the children's ministry and youth ministry in this church. But I don't apologize for finding more strategic ways for children to be in the big room with the grown-ups because beyond them having a special program, they need to sit by mama and daddy and see how grace has changed mama and daddy. Help me hear somebody. You need to get your kids in the house. That scarlet line hanging from the window. And uh, I, don't, I don't know where they got that idea from, but I got a guess. I can't prove it, but play along with me for a minute. In Egypt, in Egypt, uh, God sent 10 plagues to make Pharaoh change his mind, who refused to let God's people go free. Remember the 10th plague? God sent death to the house of every Egyptian family to kill the firstborn. But the children of Israel were spared because they had blood over the doorpost. And whenever, whenever death got to house with blood on the door, he skipped over that house and spared that family. I guess in Jericho they said, well, you can't put blood out there. That'll be too obvious. But just let that scarlet line keep hanging there and we'll cover you when we come back. What Joshua didn't know, what, what, what the spies didn't know, and what, what Rahab didn't know, that even after Jericho was defeated, God kept that scarlet line still hanging out the window. Uh-uh, it didn't stop hanging in Joshua 6. That, that thing... That scarlet cord went from Joshua to Judges, Ruth, and 1st and 2nd Samuel, and 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, and Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. That cord kept running through Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Hosea, and Joel, and Amos, and Obadiah, and Jonah, and Micah, Nahum, Rebekah, and Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah, and Malachi. And then that card makes its way to Matthew chapter 1. You probably don't know what's in Matthew chapter 1 because you skip over Matthew chapter 1. 
Tell the truth. Yeah, you do. Because in Matthew chapter 1, you, you got one of them begat chapters. So-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so begat so-and-so and so-and-so. And you say, oh, Lord, if I run into another begat, I'm going to lose my mind. But, but don't read too fast. Because Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Jesus from 42 generations. And the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1, look, just start at verse 4, that Ram was the father of Aminadad. And Aminadad was the father of Nashon. And Nashon was the father of Salmon. And Salmon, verse 5, Matthew 1, was the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz was the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse was the father of David, king of Israel. And David had a son. And he had a son. And he had a son. And so and so begat so and so. And so and so begat so and so. Until somebody had a, na- a son named Joseph. And Joseph married a virgin named Mary. And Mary gave birth to a child named Jesus. Hey. Hey, and that child died on the cross so that forever the scarlet line is hanging from Calvary so that you can have another chance. Andre Crouch said it reaches to the highest mountain. It flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day from day to day. Uh, I got one more service. Can I, can I show you one more thing? Uh, Joshua 6. Israel has crossed over Jordan. They're about to take the land of Canaan. I'm done. And the Bible says that uh, the first city they got to fight is Jericho. They see the scarlet line. And they, they get Rahab's family out. And then it's time to go to war. And they're getting all of their weapons, swords, shields, bows, arrows, armor. And then God says, uh, put all that stuff up. Put all that stuff up. Put, put, put all that stuff up. Now, put it where you can get it because you're going to need it for future battles. But you won't need it for this battle. Because uh, this battle, I just want you to see in the first battle against the strongest city with the high walls, I want you to see that if you trust me, I can show up in some unexpected places. So, so, so Lord, if we're putting up our weapons, how are we going to fight? Tell you what I want you to do, Joshua. March up to people. Put them in line. And for seven days, I don't want y'all to talk. I just want you to walk around the wall for seven days and then go back to your tent. 
And on day two, walk around the wall. On day three, march around the wall. Day four, day five, day six. But on the seventh day, I got to quit now. But on the seventh day, I want you to march around the walls seven times. And then when you get through marching the seventh time, here's how I want you to fight. Shout! I wish I had some Sunday school people to know that I ain't lying. And all they did was shout. And the Bible says the walls of Jericho, hey, fell down flat. I'm trying to tell you, if you trust in God, he knows how to meet you in unexpected places. Do you believe he's big enough to bring down that wall? Well, are you big enough to praise him? In the face of the wall, in the face of the bad doctor's report, in the face of the wayward child, in the face of the unpaid bill, shout! Watch God move. Watch God move. When I was in Boyan Church, they used to sing a song. They said, have you any rivers that seem uncrossable? Have you any mountains that you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things that men say are impossible. And he's able to do what no other power is able to do. Is there a witness to that? I got to quit, but why don't you just shake three hands and tell them God specializes. I don't know what you're dealing with, but whatever it is... He's a specialist in your situation. If you trust him, if you trust him, it don't matter where you are, when it is, or what's going on. He can meet you. You got a doctor's appointment this week? He can meet you. You might have to stand over an empty grave this week, but he can meet you. You might get called in the boss's office and get a pink slip this week, but he can meet you in unexpected places. If you believe him, give him a praise for yourself. Give him a praise. Thanks for listening to Cutting It Straight with Pastor H.B. Charles Jr. If you would like more resources from Pastor Charles or to support this ministry, he can be reached online at www.hbcharlesjr.com. That's hbcharlesjr.com. Join us again for Cutting It Straight and God bless.